chapter 1. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to just look at what you would have us to see from your word. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going to stop. <laughs> We're looking at the greeting of Paul to the church of Colossae. And last week we had our academic time telling you all about where he was at. And, you know, he was in prison writing this and may or may not have ever been to Colossae. Uh, I, believe he, I believe that he had. But he's writing to these people to exhort them. And he starts with Paul, an apostle. Now, we think about this. And usually when we hear the word apostle, we think of these great saints. <laughs> now, literally all apostle means is a sent one. One sent with a message. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's no such thing as apostles today. Well, maybe not in the same way that these apostles were there writing scripture. But, you know, in one sense, we're all apostles because we are sent with a message. Now, most of us don't have the gift of being an apostle. But it is possible that they still exist. And I'm not going to sit there and say, well, because they didn't know Jesus, they can't, they can't be an apostle because Paul is saying, I am the sent one. I'm sent with orders. What was his orders? Establish churches. You know, Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, said, go and make disciples. And he wasn't just talking to the 11 disciples standing in front of him. He was talking to all of us. It's a command. We're to go and make disciples. Share what God shares with us. And I've said this before. No matter how long you've been a Christian, if you've been going to church for any length of time, a month or two or three, you know more than some of the people that you deal with. Hopefully. Unless you're just coming here and sleeping, you know more than <laughs> other people. And you know, part of what we need to look at is when we come to church, how are we coming to church? Am I coming here just to listen to some boring guy stand up front and speak for 30 minutes to an hour? Or am I coming to learn how to live life? Hopefully, we're coming to learn how to live our daily life. And when we walk out those doors, we get to practice what we learn. Yeah. You know, a little, little bit of a hard time to do sometimes, but you know, when we go out those doors, we're now becoming the church out amongst the people. And we're going to take whatever it is that's been brought up in these studies and live it. Paul says, I'm sending this by the will of God. He was made an apostle by God's will. Now think about this, God's will. We're learning a verse that says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How many of us want to know what God's will is? Well, if we go into the scriptures, we can learn. One of them is give thanks. Now that does not mean that when I have something bad happen to me, I go, oh, thank you, God, I just love what you're doing to me. No, that would be insane. <laughs> but. God, thank you for allowing me to learn something. Help me to be, thank you for allowing me to be an example to somebody. When you go through hard times, it may just be so that people reading the living epistle say, oh, this person isn't turning to drugs and alcohol and, and suicide to get out of this because they have something. Don't know what it is, but they have something. Very important that we have God. Because when he's in charge, even if we're going through a Job-like experience where we've lost everything, and no, I don't know of very many people who've lost everything, 
you can still say, thank you, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you've got a reason. And I've shared with you, that's my answer. If I don't understand it, God, you've got a reason. I don't understand it. Thank you. You know, maybe you'll show it to me. Sometimes he's shown it to me. There's still some things in my life that I've gone through. I'm going, okay, God, why? Why am I going through this, God? Or why did I go through that? Hopefully he'll show me in heaven because there's a reason. But he says, God made Paul an apostle by his will. And think about this. How was Paul called? You know, he was going out to arrest Christians. <laughs> okay. His goal was to go to Damascus and arrest Christians, drag them back to Jerusalem to be executed when God called him. Knocked him off his horse, made him blind, and said, it's hard to fight against me, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and, and Paul did what every one of us would do. Yes, God, what do you want? <laughs> If you were knocked off your horse or off your car or whatever, laying down on the ground blind, and God speaking to you, you would probably do just what Paul did. Yes, God, what do you want? Uh, this is kind of miraculous. <laughs> and God chose him. And at this time, he says he's with Timothy. Now, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. He led him to the Lord as a young man. And Timothy went just about everywhere Paul did. So he learned firsthand from Paul how to be a follower of God. What did he learn? How to go to prison, how to do, do without. Uh, <laughs> but he also learned the love of God. <laughs> you know, how many of us might have been, if we were Timothy saying, uh, I'm not sure I want this, uh, Paul. This is uh, not the life I signed up for. Especially here in, a, in, in the Western church. So often we've been lied to. Come to God and everything's going to be all roses and peaches and cream and nothing's ever going to go wrong. That's not what God promises. He promises peace. He promises us all the good things as far as calmness. But he said, the world's going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. But at the same time, we have peace. Why do we have peace? Mostly because we know that God's in charge. And you know what? The easiest thing about peace is, let's say you live to be three or 400 years old. Now, most of us probably don't want to live to be that old, <laughs> especially in our day and age. But let's say you manage to live that long. Anything that goes wrong on this world is nothing in comparison to eternity with heaven. No matter what it is, no matter how hard life is on this world, it's nothing in comparison to eternity. All a matter of perspective. God, you want me to suffer for, for a thousand years? Okay, I'll suffer for a thousand years. What's that against a trillion years in heaven? A thousand years after a trillion years in heaven is going to look back and say, what was that little speck back there that, that I was concerned about? Don't even remember it. I've had a, thousand, a trillion years of, you know, quintillion years of heaven. Why can we stay thankful for everything? Even if there is no reason, we're thankful because there's a reward in heaven. There's going to be blessing in heaven. And this is something we need to keep in mind as we go through this. And it says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. And we talked about saints a few times here. Do you realize that if you are in Christ, you're a saint? Yes. You are a separated one for God. Separated on for what? Service. We all have something God has called us to do. And I really want to stress this. Every one of us is called to serve. Now what that service is, I can't begin to tell you. 
Mine is to serve as a pastor, and I know that's from a long time, and to share Christ and be a teacher. Some people may be served, called to serve by getting weeds. Loretta, Loretta's famous thing, getting the weeds. <laughs> yeah. And we laugh, but you know, it's really nice when you look out here and there's no weeds in the place. Yes. Okay. And it hasn't just been Loretta anymore. Since she's been sick, other people have now taken up the, the slack a little bit. But it is wonderful to look out there and say, the property looks good. It's a property that calls people to come and serve God and says, we care. The paint job that's almost finished, or is finished, I don't know, but it's looking really good. The building looks good. You know, what are we called to do for Christ? At the very least, we're called to share the gospel. Yes, absolutely. You know, at the very least, we're called to share the gospel. That may be as simple as just passing out tracts. Might actually be speaking. It's definitely living a life that shows the, a living epistle. But we're saints. We're called to service. And as we get older, our call may change. When I was younger, I did almost all straight work with children. As I got a little older, God moved me into working with adults more. And now I don't have the same gift. I can still work with children, but I don't have the same gift. I used to be able to hold 30, 40 kids in, in control with no problem. Now it's harder. Might be because the kids are worse, too. I don't know. You know, kids, kids are getting more disobedient or seem more disobedient than they were when I was younger. <laughs> but uh, we need to be able to, what is our call? What is our call for service? I've heard some people tell me that, well, I'm a prayer warrior. You know, and I go, okay, how many of your prayers get answered? I don't know. I just pray a lot. <laughs> I go, well, don't call yourself a prayer warrior if your prayers don't get answered. I know prayer warriors. You, you know, I know a few people, you want your prayers answered, you go talk to them, and, and they are on their knees, and God answers their prayers. Sometimes because they're just childlike enough to believe that God's going to answer them. You know, and this is, God will answer our prayers. As long as they're in his name, and we've talked many times about what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean to go at the very end of your prayer, in the name of Jesus. That is not necessarily praying in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus is in all the authority and honor of his name. Okay? You don't even have to say in the name of Jesus to be praying in Jesus' name. An example we've uh, shared, you know, God, I need a million dollars so I can retire, and I'll serve you more if I retire, God. You're probably not going to get that answer, especially if you're not serving him before it. You know, I've heard all kinds of people say, well, I will tithe when I get, a, when I get all, and when I win the lottery, I'll tithe. Well, if you're not tithing before you win the lottery, you will not tithe if you win the lottery. And I'm not saying go out and play the lottery, but you know, if you're not honoring God with a little, he's not going to give you much. Plain and simple. That's what he said. To whom much is given, much is required. But at the same time, he rewards. He says, if you're faithful in a little, I will give you more. A lot of people want to start at the top. God, I, I want to start at the top. I want to be Billy Graham preaching to a million people every night. Well, number one, if you tried that, you'd probably freeze when you stood in front of a million people. You know, especially if you hadn't been raised up to do it. You know, but you know, how many people want to start at the top, especially in our generation? You know, we've got a generation of kids who want the, the house that their parents have, the cars their parents have, the money their parents have, and they don't want to start at the bottom of the company to get there. They want to start at that level. You know, and God says, you need to be faithful. Faithful in little things. Has God given you one person to be discipling? 
Are you discipling that person? All of us have somebody in our life that we should be discipling. All of us need to have somebody that we're being discipled by. Because no matter where you are with God, there's always things you aren't going to know. And you need somebody to help teach you in those areas. How do we find those people? Well, we go in the body of the Christ and we go, God, I really want to learn how to pray better. Look around you and find out who in the church is praying. Who around you in your life is, is a prayer warrior? And here's your conversation. Can we get together once a, once a week or once a month and just spend time praying? You look around and say, God, I want to be a better father or mother. You look around and see who in the, who in the church has had a successful family. Go, go, go talk to them. Can we just meet once a, once a month and we'll just talk about what it means to be a good mother, a good father. You know, don't go to the person whose all the kids are in jail and, and, uh, and spun out because they're not the one you want to learn from. <laughs> go find the person who's got successful children that are following God and say, you know, I want to learn. I want to learn how to do that. How to be a better husband or wife. Go find somebody who has a, seems to have a successful marriage and say, I just want to, I want to learn. I want to learn how to study the Bible, whatever it might be. Find somebody who knows how to do it and say, can we meet once a month? And if you really get going, maybe it'll be more often. You feel you've learned everything you can from them, go find somebody somebody else to go learn from. And make sure you're taking what you learn and teach others. I've shared with you, it's kind of interesting when my oldest son asks me a question about the Bible, it's always going to be a very good question. Why? Because I taught him how to study the Bible. He already knows all the tools that I use and all the, all the techniques that I have and, and everything. And he's added some of his own. So when he asks a question, he's one of the rare people that can ask me a question that is, I've got to go do some research. <laughs> all right? But you know, each one of us have something where we should be teaching others. And you know what? As we teach them, they should outstrip us and get better because that's our desire. I'm happy that my son is doing better than me in, in finding these questions. I'm happy that he's added more tools than I have. I'm happy that I have a prayer warrior in my family that when he prays, that prayers get answered. I'm happy to watch my kids do things that are greater than I am because it means I've been successful as a father. My wife has been successful as a mother teaching our children to be spiritual. Now, are they millionaires? No, but I never tried to make my kids millionaires. I want them to be successfully following God. They're also doing well, but they're not, you know, they're not, what, you know, not doctors and lawyers and all that stuff that people go, that's what I want my kid to be. No, I want my kids to be followers of Christ and successfully following Christ. My goal for this church is to see followers of Christ growing, not doing the things they would have done a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, saying, I'm growing in Christ. I am maturing. That our body of Christ is growing and stronger and stronger because we are brethren. We are a family. We sang the, the song, we, the family of God. You know, none of us belong in the family. Of course, even in your own family, you probably don't belong. You, you didn't have any choice in where, what family you were born into. Your parents didn't even have a choice of what kid they were going to have. They, they got whatever they got. Yeah, they got the strong-willed, hard-to-raise kid or the easy, compliant kid who had no problems or sometimes both or a whole lot of strong-willed kids, whatever it might be. 
they had no choice. They were stuck with whatever they got. And they had to learn to follow God. And you know, this is one of the things that the Bible teaches. The church is a body. There's people in the body that are very strong followers of Christ. There's people in the body that you go, man, I wish, it was, wish that black sheep wasn't here. You know, but our goal is to say we're all one. We're to edify one another. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And I just want to read Paul's description of a body. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 11 through 27. But all those that work one in self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. But as for the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is he therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is he therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now has God set every member, set the member, every man, one of them in the body as he pleased. And if we were all one member, where would be the body? But now there are many members, but all, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think less honorable, upon these we bestow much abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together and given it more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body and that no member should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member be honored, then all members are honored. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. We think about this. And Paul's kind of having a lot of fun with this section. He says, the church, the body of Christ, is a body. And I, I love this. You know, he goes, if everything was an eye, you know, if your body was just one great big eyeball, you know, what, what kind of body would you have? You're standing in a corner seeing a lot of stuff, but you don't even have a brain to be able to interpret what you see. You, you, can't, you don't have any hands to make anything happen. You have no feet to go anywhere. This is the picture Paul's talking about. You got a whole bunch of eyeballs stuck together. If you had a whole, whole bunch of feet, what, what would be happening? The church has many members, all with different strengths and weaknesses. You know, sometimes we ourselves are hard on ourselves. God, I don't know what I'm in this church for because I should be. I wish I was. And fill in, fill in your blank. You know, I wish I was the pastor. I could, I could do better than that crazy guy up front preaching to the church. I could do it. You know, I can be better than the teacher. I can do. Have we ever thought about those things in our life? We don't want to be careful because God has placed us in a church to do what he wants us to do. Feet, the ones who get places, get the job done. Hands, things that get done. People who see the need. You know, one of the things that a church needs is people who see needs. Because you know, sometimes we can be oblivious to the needs around us. 
Now, the person who's seeing the need has to also understand that you're not going to always respond to every single need that is seen. Because you can see more needs than can ever be taken care of, especially in a bigger church where there's lots, of, lots more needs. But we also have to be willing to respond to those needs, hear the needs, respond to the needs. But also realize that just because you see the need isn't necessarily going to mean that it's going to be filled. And also, if you see the need, you're probably the one that's going to fill the need. <laughs> I used to love doing that in the previous church. Somebody would go, we need to do this ministry. I'll go, great, how, how, let's get you started. Well, I don't want to do it. Well, you're the one that sees it. You're the one that cares about it. I'll help you get it started. I'll help you get the, work, the, work the paths and the, how to get it going. I wasn't even the pastor there, but I knew how to make things happen. Let me help you get this started. Because I think it's a great need, but you know, the pastor doesn't have time to do it. The deacons don't have time to do it, so God showed you it must be important enough for you to do. What is it that God is calling you to do? Step out and do it. I've shared with you one of the most crazy missions I've ever heard anybody say is that he wanted to start a Bible study at the airport. This was in Baltimore. And everybody's looking at him, a Bible study at the airport? <laughs> You know, and, you know, he went in and did his Bible study at the airport. Came back every week with people getting saved that came to his Bible study. Usually just travelers coming through, but occasionally he'd have workers and stuff that would stick around. You know, sounded like a crazy ministry, but you know what? It was what God called him to do. What is God asking you to do? Does it sound crazy? Pray about it. Maybe it's what he wants you to do, and he's asking you to do it. Now, there are certain things that may not be, that may just be plain crazy. <laughs> okay. Uh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order, I'm, I think you're calling me to open a hitman store. <laughs> that might just be a little crazy because God says you should not murder. <laughs> okay. You're not hearing from God if that's what you think he's telling you. Okay. I mean, I picked something way far out, but you understand what I'm saying. There can be things that are not according to the Bible. Then you say, God, I think you're telling me to do this. Uh, you better listen to the right God. <laughs> But you know, there may also be something, God, I think you want me to hold a, a Bible study in some really crazy location. Yeah, that might just be what God's calling you to do. Are you capable, number one, doing a Bible study? And is it really God? You need to pray about it, but you know, be aware. What is God calling you to do? Some people are called just to give money to the church. Now, I think that's a cop-out for most people. <laughs> But for some people, that's what they're called to do. I've got lots of money. I'm just going to give it to the church because I'm busy making the money. Now, you need to also do something beyond that. But, you know, I'm just called to pray. That's fine. Are you a prayer warrior and your prayers are getting answered? Then I can say you're called to pray. I'm called just to sit in the pew. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's not your call. And I'm going to tell you that that's not scriptural. Paul says we're one body. Every part of the body has a purpose. Now, when we look at our body, every part of our body has a purpose. They used to tell us that the appendix was a useless, useless part that it was left over from, from evolution, and we found out that it's a great part of the immune system. They used to cut them out very quickly because they thought they were worthless. Tonsils used to be cut out all the time because they were thought to be useless. And we find out that they're part of the immune system of the body. If you ever want to have a hard time walking, break your, break your little toe. Now, most people think the little toe does nothing important in the body. Do you realize that it bears the entire weight of your body? The little toe, the small toe, bears the weight of your whole body. 
And people think of it, well, it's just a little toe. What, what difference is it there if it's not there? Big toe is for balance. Lose your big toe and try to walk around until you relearn ba balance. We think about this. The little things in our body that are so important. The ugly things, what do we do to the ugly parts of our body? We cover them. <laughs> you know, we cover them as best we can. Does that mean they're not important? No, they're pretty important. We just don't like to see them. <laughs> or we treat them, or we treat them with special care. Do we do the same thing in the body of Christ? Do we take the person in the body who seems to be very weak, very insignificant, and what do we do to them usually? Oh, you just go over there, get out of the way, we'll, we'll take care of this, instead of building them up, edifying. The amazing thing in God's body is how many times he takes the person who is the least likely to be successful, and he uses them to minister. I'm going to take the least. And if you think about it, we're all the least anyway. Even if we think we're something special, we better get back to the place where we don't belong, we don't deserve anything. It's all by grace. And this is something that's very important for us to understand. There's people who grow up in the church and they look down on those who come to Christ later in their life after having gone through all kinds of trials and tribulations and, and hardships. I'll tell you one thing, most of those people who come to Christ later in life have a greater love for God than those who grow up with him because they know what it's like to live in the, in the, in the sewer and the gutter. The other ones, well, I've always been good. God, God, God is so blessed to have me. <laughs> you know, I, I, am, I have done nothing wrong, God. You're so blessed that I'm one of your children. You know, don't take that attitude with God because he'll tell you that you're not one of his blessed children and show you that you're not. You might go through Job. You might have everything taken away from you and be in the gutter so that you'll learn to love him. It's all by grace. Amazing grace that saves us. You know, I was a wretch, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. All of us have that. Some, some earlier in their life, some later in their life. But if you're a Christian, you're there by grace. God is not specially honored just because you decided to be his child. Because we love him because he first loved us, we're told in 1 John. He gave us the way to heaven. No matter how good we think we are, it's by grace. And think about this. From God's point of view, sin is sin. And it separates us from him. All right? God does not rank the sins, and when he does rank them, he doesn't rank them the way we would. In Proverbs, he says, these seven things I hate. Lying lips, gossip, were, uh, those who spread dissent. The first three things. You know, we would look at those and say, God, what's wrong with those? Why are they so bad to you? Mostly because they hurt the soul. They hurt people to soul. If you're gossiping, you're, you're, you're sowing dissent, you're annihilating people at the soul level, you're hurting them as low as you possibly can. And people, well, they deserve it. No, nobody deserves it. Maybe they've done bad things and, you know, in the world's point of view, they deserve the titles. But, you know, our job is to edify and build up, to draw people to Christ. All of us have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
we all deserve hell. All of us. All of us have at least one sin in our life. Okay? And I say that tongue in cheek because all of us have at least one sin every hour in our life probably. At least every day. So we deserve nothing but hell. And yet Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven. Very important thing to understand. We are part of the body because of his grace and his offer of, of salvation. We say, yes, God, I want that. He expects us to return and become like him. He expects us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be changed. And if we're in his word, we should be able to look back and say, God, I am closer to you today than I was last year, last five years, a decade ago. God, I can no longer do the things I used to be able to do. Now, that's the greatest thing. When you, when you think back and you go, God, I used to do that all the time, and now I'm not even tempted to do this anymore. And you know, the hardest thing for some Christians is to let go of your past. You know, for us as our individuals, I've heard it more often, I just can't forgive myself. God forgave you, forgive yourself. I just can't forgive so-and-so because I know what they're like. Well, you know, we're to know no man after the flesh. If somebody says that they're saved and they're a Christian, we need to treat them like they're saved and a Christian until they prove otherwise. Now, there are a lot of people that say they're a Christian who aren't Christians. Okay, there are a lot of people that say, I, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. And you watch them live nothing but sin without conviction in their heart. They're probably not a Christian. No growth, no moving forward. The greatest thing I've seen in five years here is I've watched so many people grow in tremendous ways. And I've had some people come back, well, you know so-and-so, you know, this, that, and I'll go, no, stop. <laughs> they are growing. They may not be perfect, but they are growing. They are becoming more Christ-like. And our job is to stop people when they start criticizing others. Because maybe they deserve it. Maybe they, do, maybe they had a miserable past, but if they're in Christ, they're a new creation. And we need to see them in, those, in that light. The body of Christ. What does the body do? If you cut your, cut your hand, what happens? Blood rushes to your, to your cut. The rest of the body during that period of time suffers a blood loss. The flow of blood does not go to the rest of the body as strongly when you've cut yourself. The blood comes, it coagulates, cuts it, and then everything goes back, and then more blood goes there to, with healing antibodies and everything. You know, the body goes, well, we cut our hand, let's get rid of the hand. You know, the, it's hurt, chop, get rid of the whole hand. Now, we laugh because we know how stupid that is, and, and thought, but how many times in church do we do that to somebody? This person fell, get rid of them, no hope for them. We as the body should be coming and saying, you know what? I want to see you get back on your feet. I want to see you come back to Christ. Get back to strength. This is where calls from individuals work when somebody's missing. You know, and I've heard you, I'm, I'm going to write the letters, I'm going to call. But you all know, if you get a call from the pastor, what do you think? That's his job. <laughs> That's what he's supposed to do. You know, it's, not in, it's not in the Bible, call, call your missing members, but it, we do know that we love our sheep and we go, we go seek after them. But you know, if the body member calls you, who do you feel more special? If I call you or if somebody else in the, in the body calls you and says, hey, I've missed you. Very important that we do this. We send letters out. We send greeting out. We, we love people. We pray for them. We go visit them. 
I had an in, when I first became a deacon a long time ago, I went to everybody's house and I went to this one guy's house and he goes, what are you doing here? Nobody here is sick. <laughs> I'm going, I'm just out to visit the, the families that I'm at, you know, trying to take care of. They hadn't been in church for several years and they started coming back to church. Why? Because somebody other than the pastor had come out and just said, we're thinking about you. You don't know the little things you're going to do that will touch somebody. A little call can go a long ways with some people. I've shared with you, when I, when I walked away from the church as a young man getting busy with work, I worked 80 hours a week and just stopped going to church. One of the things I go, well, nobody cares. Nobody's called me. And in my case, nobody had called me. Now, was it their fault that I left church? No, it was my fault. <laughs> but it gave me a real good excuse. Well, nobody cares that I'm gone. Do you miss somebody? When you look around and see a seat empty, do you go, wow, so-and-so is not here? Now, it's one thing if they're gone just one week. But if they're gone two or three weeks, somebody should notice it, especially in a church our size. <laughs> somebody should notice that they're not here and say, you know, hey, I've missed you. Is there anything, anything I can help you with? The body coming to the aid of the body. We are the body of Christ. We're to love one another. Now, does that mean you're going to like everybody in the church? I wish you could like everybody in the church. There's always going to be that person like, oh, no, they're here, but I'm going to love them. <laughs> you know, they're hard to get along with. They grate me the wrong way. <laughs> I, I really feel I don't like them, but, you know, we still need to love one another. We're not told to like everybody, but we are told to love. And we can love by choice. I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm not going to backbite them. I'm not going to tear them down. And I get it all the time where people want to tell me, share with me what people need for prayer. Share with me where the needs of these people are. I go, no, we're not going there. If you tell me they need prayer, I'll pray for them. But I don't need to know, and I've shared this with many people, because usually at time we need to pray for someone, what's wrong? You know, don't know, don't care. God knows what's wrong. God knows what they need. We just pray. We lift them up. We edify one another. We build each other up. You know, it's good to see you. Glad you came. Just make sure that it's honest. <laughs> Nothing's worse than dishonest edification. And we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you guide us and lead us. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, we ask that they will today ex accept you, admit that they're a sinner, and accept that you are the only way to heaven. Lord, we also challenge each person today that they will stand up and learn to be part of the body. Be able to minister and find out, God, what is my part in the body? What is it you want me to do? And be able to move forward in that. And Lord, help us learn to edify and build one another up and not tear down and destroy. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.